Hey guys, this is the New Heights Church Podcast, and we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. Here at New Heights, we exist to love people and point them to Christ. Enjoy today's service. If you're watching online, I just want to take a minute and say, hey, thank you for watching. It means the world to us that you would do that. Many people watch our services live as well as the replays throughout the week. I did want to say this, though. If you're ever in Texas in the Bryan College Station area, why don't you come out to a New Heights Church Service Live? I promise you, me and everybody here will make you feel right at home in Jesus' name. Open your Bible to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Starting a new series today I'm calling Ain't No Grave. And that's hard for me to say without a real thick southern accent. Ain't no grave. Because you can go over to Israel right now and you cannot find the corpse of Jesus Christ. You can go and find the bones of Buddha. You can go and find the bones of Muhammad. But you cannot find Jesus' bones. He didn't even use his own grave. He borrowed a grave. You know why? He wasn't going to need it very long. Because there is no grave that can hold Jesus down. And if you be in him, there is no grave that can hold you down. Can you say amen to that? So what happens is, in this Easter season, is, is the apostles right before Jesus is killed, he gets together with them in what we call the upper room. Everybody say upper room. They did what we just did. They uh, had communion. Before that, they'd had a Passover meal. And that's whenever Jesus is sitting there and he's got 12 of his disciples with him. Now, the word upper room sounds real holy, but it literally just translates a room at the second story. The, the up room, the room that's higher than a different room. So they're there and they're having the Passover meal. And then uh, they have communion. He takes the, the bread and the wine and he passes it out. And in this same picture, what happens is, is, is just an unbelievable display of what, or not unbelievable, just some, a, a, an awesome display of humanity. Because Jesus is there and he says, listen, one of you guys is going to betray me. And all of them are pretty much going, not me, not me, not me. But Peter especially is like, I would never betray you. Have you ever had to eat your own words? Not so fun. But Judas, the Bible says, he would betray Jesus. And he goes and he leaves the supper. Jesus told him to go and do what he must do quickly. He goes and he sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver, according to what the scripture says, was about what a slave would have been sold for. The Bible says that Judas was also the same guy that uh, when a lady came and was pouring some very valuable oil on Jesus and crying and washing him uh, with her tears and wiping him with her with her hair, that he complained about it and said, we could have sold this for 300 pieces of silver and given it to the poor. Now, the scripture says very clearly that he didn't say that because he cared about poor people. He said that because he carried the money bag and he would steal from the money bag. He was a thief. In other words, Judas literally sold Jesus out for the tithe of what he was complaining about. 
300 pieces of silver, and then he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So he leaves, and then they get done with the upper room. And then the Bible says that Jesus says, come and go with me. And all the disciples that are left, 11, they go, and they go to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. Everybody say Gethsemane. Now, the picture I want you to understand is Jesus is often called the last Adam or the second Adam. Jesus uh, has no earthly father. Joseph certainly raised him. But Mary, who conceived Jesus uh, uh, by the Holy Spirit, was his mother. But Jesus' father is our father in heaven. Uh, Mary was a virgin, but she conceived by the Holy Spirit and gave birth to Emmanuel, God with us. The Bible says that Adam had no father, uh, earthly father, just like Jesus has no earthly father, because literally God took Adam and formed him out of the dust of the earth. And then he breathed the pneuma. He breathed the breath of God into his lungs. And then life began to flow through Adam's veins. He had no earthly father. That's why we call Jesus the second Adam. He's the only other one on the planet that doesn't have an earthly father. Now, the challenge with Adam is, is Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, God said, you can have everything you want. Just leave this particular tree alone, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's a representation of what is holy. Somebody say holy. Holy in the Bible means separate. Holy means it belongs to God and leave it alone. It's effectively a representation of the tithe. The Bible says your tithe is holy. It is separate unto God. Whatever you keep separate unto God, he blesses the rest of it. So basically with your tithe, he says, hey, 10%, bring it to the storehouse, bring it to the house of God. He said that I'm going to bless the rest of it. God said to Adam and Eve, you guys can have everything you want. Just leave that part alone. Well, the devil showed up in the form of a serpent or the form of a snake and he walks over and he starts to beguile him and he says, hey, what's going on? You enjoying the garden? And and Eve's like, yeah, the garden's great. We got all this fruit. And all of a sudden what happens is, is the devil starts shining a light on the one thing that God said, don't touch. Now, everything else is available, but God said, leave this one thing alone and you can, you'll live forever. You get, you you guys, y'all are naming all the animals. You're subduing the earth. All the animals are are responding to you. There's no thorns. It's just, it's a beautiful picture of what God purposely intended man, mankind's life to be like. But then the devil comes in and begins to convince them. And as soon as he convinced them to touch what is holy or separate, all of a sudden the curse is activated in their life. That's why in the book of Malachi, it says, why have you robbed God? It's where we robbed you. He said, you're a cur- you're under a curse. God didn't say, I'm cursing you. He said, you're under a curse. When you grab what is holy and try to make it not separate anymore, it puts a curse on whatever that situation is. So Adam and Eve are in the garden. All of a sudden, they touch what's holy, what's separate. And all of a sudden, the curse comes. And God instantaneously starts the greatest rescue mission that has ever been brought about in the history of humanity. He began to say, I've got to find a way to get my children back to me. Because I'm not comfortable and I don't desire for them to be away from me. I want them close to me. But the problem was now sin was introduced. Adam and Eve now were tarnished with sin. And you can't take something dirty and touch something clean because what is dirty now makes what's clean dirty. So God had to protect Adam and Eve by saying, you can't have my unfettered access anymore. Because if you get close to me, you will be burned up and you will die. So what he did is he said, you guys are going to have to leave the garden. You're not leaving me forever, but you got to leave me for now. And Adam and Eve had to walk out of the garden. Everybody say garden. Now, this is very important because Adam was forced out of the garden. But here, right before Jesus was crucified, right before he was killed, right before he was arrested, he was willingly walking into a garden. 
See, the first Adam was forced out. The last Adam willingly walked in. The Bible says he went to the garden and the garden was called Gethsemane. Everybody say Gethsemane. Gethsemane is an interesting word. Gethsemane literally means an oil press. Jesus willingly walked towards pressure. Number one, don't run from pressure. There are times when pressure is self-induced and you, you just have too much on your plate. You need to cut back on some things. You need to make some different decisions. You need to be more wise. But all pressure is not bad pressure. Pressure turns coal into diamonds. Pressure is what can shift you from the level you're at right now to the level you know God's calling you to get to. Matthew 26 and 36 says, Then Jesus came with them into a place called Gethsemane and said unto the disciples, Sit here while I go pray yonder. Now right here where it says yonder, that verifies immediately that Jesus was from East Texas. Don't send me an email. I know he's not from East Texas. Praise the Lord. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and heavy. Number one, listen, don't run from pressure. Pressure is what got Adam thrown out of the garden. He didn't respond to pressure. When temptation comes, there is pressure. Don't run from pressure. Sometimes pressure is the thing that's going to make everything more tender. You know, you can, you can take and you can put something in a crock pot and it'll take all day to cook. Or you can put it in a pressure cooker and you can do the same thing in, in 30 minutes. Sometimes pressure can exponentially take you to a more tender place. Don't let pressure make you hard. Make pressure. Let pressure make you tender. Let pressure make you sensitive to people that are far from God. Let pressure make you sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit that's nudging you and encouraging you to share your faith with somebody tomorrow. Let pressure be the thing that takes something that, that does have value and immediately elevate its value. Coal has value. Most of the time it's, it's to burn as a, as a fuel of some kind. It's not like it doesn't have value. But when you weigh it compared to a diamond, it's the same stuff, just one had more pressure. So for you and for me, we got to get to the place where we don't run from pressure just because it's uncomfortable. Jesus walked headlong into pressure. Can you say amen to that? Amen. The scripture says he took with him Peter. Well, well, first off, it says, it says he told the disciples to sit down, but then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him. So there was 11 disciples because Judas was out selling him out. There was 11 that walked into the garden with him and he took eight of them. He said, you guys wait right here and pray. And later it says, I want you to pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Most of the time, falling into temptation is from a lack of a prayer life. Say that again. Most of the time, falling into temptation is from a lack of a prayer life. Because if you fill your life meditating on the word of God... If you fill your life worshiping and praying, you don't have as much time for temptation. Certainly the will of God uh, strengthens you in that process. But at the same time, your children behave differently in your presence than they do not in your presence. Oh, I'm the only one. <laughs> Just, that's good to know. 
They behave differently. Listen, they're not bad when they're not around you or anything like that. They just behave differently because the acknowledgement that they are in your presence brings out their best behavior. The more you pray, the more you worship, the more the presence of God begins to saturate and you're reminded by his presence, which reminds you who you are. And all of a sudden you stop being tempted with some of that little nonsense stuff that used to tempt you your whole life because you actually began to develop an on-purpose prayer life. There are seasons in my life where I set my phone to remind me to pray at certain times of the day so that I won't forget it. Certain things that I'm reminded. I use the phone for everything else to remind me of a doctor's appointment or wherever. I just as well use it to remind me to build myself up on my most holy faith. So literally, he said, I want you to pray so that temptation doesn't overcome you. Because he knew mankind had a history of temptation in a garden. He said, this is a place of pressure. You're coming with me now. Somebody say all in. When it comes to God, when it comes to following Jesus, he see, he wants to know who wants to go all in. He'll only use you at your level of commitment. Boy, that's good preaching. Thank you. Praise the Lord. He told these guys to wait right here. Eight of them. Wait right here. Pray. Then he said, Peter. And James and John, which are the sons of Zebedee, y'all come on with me a little further. Now, it's very interesting because Peter was called the rock. Every time I say the rock, I think of like the rock. You know what I'm saying? Like the people's eyebrow, that guy. But Peter, he had already proven himself time and time again. He was a rascal. Now, he would cuss you out in a minute. It's in the Bible. I'm not condoning it. It's just what he did. But every time he found out where Jesus was, he did something to get there. When Jesus was walking on the water, he said, well, I want to go. And he started walking on the water. When he found out Jesus was on the beach, he jumped in the water and swam to the beach. He made an overwhelming effort to be where Jesus was. He said, Peter, you come with me. I know you're down. I know you're down with me. And then he said, James and John, y'all come with me. Now, James and John is very interesting. They're called the sons of Zebedee. In the, in the gospel of Mark, they're called the sons of thunder. Hey, that's who I want to go to war with. I, I don't want the sons of cupcake. You know what I'm saying? I want the sons of thunder. I want the rock and the sons of thunder going to war with me. He said, all you other guys out here, I'm not saying you're bad. I'm not saying you're wrong. But but everybody going to that inner garden. See, the deeper in the garden you get, the more the pressure gets. Gethsemane, place of pressing. Bishop Jakes preached a sermon a couple weeks ago. I didn't even hear the sermon. I just heard the title and I thought, whoa. He said, the grape was born to be crushed. You can't get the oil without the press. Jesus went to the place of pressing, the oil press, Gethsemane, the garden. And he said, you guys, look, it's not that I don't love you. You just can't go to those deeper places with me yet. I need, I need the rock and I need the sons of Zeb. I need the sons of thunder. When you said yes to Jesus, you enlisted in the army of the Lord. Listen, there, there, are, there are intercessors at this church that keep me alive. They're the sons and daughters of thunder. I can, sometimes I hear their voices. I hear them praying for me. 
Sometimes I, I sense it. And it makes me where I know I can storm the gates of hell and know that no weapon formed against me will prosper. Because in those deep places of pressure, which nobody else knows about, I know there's some sons and daughters of thunder that are interceding for me. You see, what I'm trying to say is this. Stop taking everybody into the inner garden. There are some people, they might be able to come in the gate, but they don't belong in that, in that inner garden of your life. If, they're, if, if you don't know they're going to fight for you, don't take them in. Come on, just because you share a cubicle at work, that doesn't mean they should know all of your husband's faults and failures. Just because you share... Uh, you know, you work on the same job site or you drive, you know, you riding a pickup truck together or whatever. That doesn't mean they should hear about all the problems that you and your wife are going through. Come on. The devil is a liar. Stop taking people into the inner garden that don't belong in the inner garden. The sons of thunder belong in the inner garden. Sons of thunder. These are guys that were taking the lead spiritually. Dads step up and take the lead spiritually. Pray for your children. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your family. Stop letting your wife be the first person to say we ought to pray. Grab her hand and say, honey, I don't know the answer, but I know who does know the answer. I'm a son of thunder. Let's pray in the name of Jesus for our family, for our future, for our finances. Step up and be the man that God's called you to be. Something has happened in America and, and it is a, it's literally caused households to break up and everybody's living just status quo. Get out of status quo and press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. If you're not married yet, get ready to get married. If you don't want to get married, then don't worry about being married, but keep pressing towards the mark. Quit letting yourself live a halfway life. You'll find yourself in the garden, but you'll barely get past the gate. There's places you can go in God, but you got to be ready for the pressure to get there. You got to be willing to be squeezed a little bit. You squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice. You squeeze a, 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 a lime, you get lime juice. You squeeze an alligator, you get Gatorade. You find out what something's made of whenever it's squeezed a little bit. Prepare yourself for the pressure so that when you get called into the inner garden, you're not shocked by what's going on. It would have probably freaked everybody out to see Jesus. The Bible says this. He took with him Peter and the sons of thunder and began to be sorrowful and heavy. Then he said to them, ah, my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions is exceed, or they're exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Wait here and watch with me. Pray with me. Do you know what we never heard James, John, or Peter talk about after this moment? The fact that Jesus was sorrowful. You don't take people in the inner garden that aren't going to leave it in the inner garden. Come on, if, if, if they've come in before and then you find out two weeks later they were talking about your exposed moment, they don't go back in. There are times I walk off this platform and I go in my office and I can barely stand and all I can do is weep before God. I can count on one hand the amount of people that have seen that. Because it's a pressing place for me. The, 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 the pressure... The, the, the feeling, the sensation 
of the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God and the call that's on your life can be a pressing thing. Don't run from the pressure. Pressure is what produces the diamonds. But don't you take everybody in. I'm not, I'm not talking about not taking them to heaven. I'm just talking about don't take them in that secret place. Don't take them in that place of exposure. Furthermore, be somebody who can go in with somebody else. Come on, when you see somebody in a moment of weakness, that's your greatest opportunity to gird them up, not to tell somebody else about it. So the scripture says that that he said, Terry here and watch. And verse 39 says he went a little further. He fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Number two, we all have our cup. Number one, don't run from the pressure. Number two, we all have our cup. Your cup doesn't fit my hand. My cup doesn't fit your hand. I don't want to drink your cup. You don't want to drink my cup. But you got a cup. And you can do one of two things. You can either begrudge it, and then tomorrow morning, your cup will still be sitting there. Or you can drink it. Number one, don't run from the pressure. Number two, we all have our cup. Number three, everybody said number three. three. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. What's it going to cost me? Approximately everything. Book of Galatians says, I don't become your enemy just because I tell you the truth. This is an exchange. It's his life for your life. Or you can go back to a normal life. You can act like spiritual things don't exist. You can ignore all the things that God has exposed you to in your life. And you can act like everybody's just everybody. Or you can decide, this is not exactly how I want it to happen. But nevertheless, not my will, but his will be done. Well, well, well what do you mean? How, how, how? How committed do I have to be? To the bone? He said, if you're lukewarm, he'll spit you out. If you're ashamed of his father in front of men, he'll be ashamed of you in front of his father. This got way heavier than I was expecting, Jake. Don't run from pressure. Everybody's got their own cup. But nevertheless. You got to have the attitude like this. Now he won't kill you. Though he slay me. Yet will I serve him. Now he's not going to kill you. He wasn't killing Job. The devil was trying to kill Job. But Job's attitude which oftentimes affects your altitude. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Come on, we're coming into Easter season. There's going to be hundreds of people born again right where you're sitting right now. We have an awesome new service time coming up on Saturdays at 5. It's going to be super cool. Some of you are like, church on a Saturday. I don't know about that. Trust me, you're going to be one of the ones that goes on Saturday. Because you're going to be like, you mean I don't have to wake up early? Oh my goodness gracious, I can still go to CC's Pizza after? It's going to be amazing. Some of y'all are going to start going because you can get Chick-fil-A after church. 
That's a revelation right there, preacher. <laughs> Christian chicken. <laughs> Come on, don't run from pressure. Everybody's got their cup. Your cup looks different than mine. Most days, you don't want my cup. Some days, you'd like my cup. Nevertheless. Somebody say, nevertheless. So the scripture goes on, and he begins to teach him. He goes, listen, pray for me, guys, because things are happening. And he went into, the Bible says, verse 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, thy will be done. Somebody say, thy will. There are places that some will go with you, but then furthermore, there are places you have to go alone. He said he went a little further. You're going to take some people and they're going to be with you. They're going to gird you up. They're going to help you. But stop being shocked that there's some places that only you can go with God. There are some secret, private places that God has for you. Can you say amen to that? The Bible says he goes on and uh, for the sake of time, I want to just kind of wrap this up. The Bible says he gets there and, and Judas comes up and gives him a kiss. Did you know that all affection is not good affection? The Bible says Judas comes and gives him a kiss. And the reason he did this is because he told the guys he sold Jesus out to that he was going to betray him with a kiss. So he betrayed him with a kiss. And when he betrayed him with that kiss, the Bible says that uh, they they stopped and they said, are you Jesus? And And Jesus said, I am. And when he said, I am, everybody fell down. Now, you got to understand, this wasn't Romans arresting him. This was the temple guard that was arresting him. They knew the Old Testament when Moses met the burning bush, God in the burning bush in the wilderness. The Bible says that when he said, who should I tell them sent me? He said, I am that I am. He said, are you Jesus? He said, I am. And not only the shock of it, but the power of the word of God coming out of Jesus mouth knocked them on their rear end. Did you know the word of God in your mouth is powerful? He said, he said, he said, they said to him, he said, are you Jesus? He said, I am. Bam. They fell down. They get up, they go to arrest him. And, 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 and Peter pulls out his sword, you know, old rocks. He pulls out his sword and he says, if you smell, la, 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 la. <laughs> if you smell what the rock is cooking. And he goes to hit the guy. He tries to kill him. He wasn't trying to cut off his ear. He's trying to kill him and he missed. The guy just slid to the side and he cut his ear off. The other gospels say Jesus healed his ear. But Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, put it up. If you live that way, you'll die that way. In other words, there's something bigger in the works. Number four, there's something bigger in the works. Number one, don't run from the pressure. Number two, you got a cup. Number three, nevertheless, live for God. But number four, there's something bigger in the works. Why do I have to keep going through this? Because there's something bigger in the works. Why hasn't God healed me already? There's something bigger in the works. Was it, was it a bigger thing for him to heal Lazarus of a sickness or was it a bigger thing for him to raise Lazarus from the dead? There's something bigger in the works. Peter said, this is it. This is the fight. Let's all go to the death. And Jesus said, whoa, there's something bigger in the works. 
Then he said this. He said, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels right now? They're at my beck and call. If you could see on the other side of the veil what was going on in that garden is all the angels were at the ready with their swords drawn, just hoping Jesus would say, now get them. Why? Because angels oftentimes are warring entities on behalf of the kingdom of God. And a warrior likes fighting. They're standing at the ready, just on the other side of the natural world, right on the supernatural realm. Nothing splitting it, but a veil that cannot be seen oftentimes. They're sitting at the ready saying, say the word, Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, don't you know there are 12 legions of angels standing at the ready right now that if I gave the word, everything's over. John 10, 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give life and life more abundant. Twelve legions of angels, kind of interesting. A legion of angels, a legion is 6,000. Twelve legions is 72,000 angels. He said there's 72,000 angels standing at the ready to smoke this whole thing right now. What's crazy is in the book of Isaiah, there was one angel in one night, one angel killed 185,000 men in one night. Now that's some warfare. Angels are nuclear in the spirit. That means 72,000 angels, if all of them killed 185,000 people, that's like 13 billion people in a night historians believe there was only 300 million people alive on planet earth Jesus was saying in a microsecond with the flick of my wrist I could wipe this entire thing out and start over Moses who's a type and shadow of Christ delivered the Israelites out of captivity of Egypt and went to God and the Bible says that when he got up on Mount Sinai that he came back down with the Ten Commandments and everybody was worshiping an idol and he took and he threw down the Ten Commandments and he broke the stones that they were writing on which is where you and me get the term break the law he threw the law down and broke it and all the people were uh, all the people were, were worshiping an, an, an idol, a calf made out of gold. And, and the Bible says that, that God says, y'all need to decide whose side are you on. And then there was a, there was a great uh, day of wrath that took place. And the next day, the Bible says that, that Moses hewned out two new stones and he climbed back up the mountain. And he said, the law was broken. I'm going to need you to write it again. This covenant was broken, but I'm going to need a new one. The first covenant, it doesn't say that, that Moses hewn the stones. It said God gave them to him. In other words, the first one came from heaven down to earth. But the next one, the Bible says that Moses hewn those stones out himself and carried them up to God and asked him to sign them. In other words, the covenant came from earth back to heaven. That's why Jesus had to be born in through, uh, in through the same door that all of humanity comes through so that the covenant could not come from heaven to earth that was destroyed, but it had to be returned from earth to heaven. You see what I'm saying? So the scripture says he got up there and he's on Mount Sinai and God says, just breathe in fire and thunder. He said, I tell you what I'm going to do, Mo. He said, I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to make you a new nation. He said, I'm going to raise up some more people. And Moses said, kill me too then. Jesus 
said, I could stop this whole thing, but I'd lose what I came for. He said, I don't want to go to the cross. Let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Because there's a greater thing in the works. He said, Peter, I could smoke this whole thing. They're sitting at the ready, but there's a greater thing in the works. In less than 24 hours, you're going to deny me three times and contemplate suicide. But in 72 hours, I'm going to walk out of that grave and bring you victory that you could never imagine. See, it's a shift when you decide to believe God that the reason I don't see it yet, there must be something greater in the works. If they would have killed those temple guard, it would have been a temporary victory. But because Jesus decided to live a nevertheless life, it was an eternal victory for me and you. You may have a prodigal son or daughter that's far from God. What's going on? How come? Well, something greater's in the works. But I don't understand why I still got this job. It's a dead-end job. And I know, you know what, I've got this and I've got all these aspirations. Let me tell you something. Something better's in the works. Don't let your place of pressure be something you run from. I dare you to walk into pressure. I was made for pressure. You don't get the oil without the squeeze. Don't run from pressure. Everybody has their own cup. Don't despise your cup. You don't want somebody else's cup. It doesn't fit. You ever heard that old saying, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence? It's the same way it is in this. You see somebody else's life, you have no idea what they're really going through. But you think, oh, I wish my life was that. No, 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 no. Your cup, you drink it nevertheless. Why? God could do it in a microsecond. Yeah, legions of angels are at the ready. But there's something greater in the works. He's doing something in your life. Come on, everybody just lift one hand and say this. Say something greater is in the works in my life. Now give God a big hand of praise. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, follow us on social media. That is the best way to stay up to date on everything happening at New Heights. We look forward to you joining us next time on the New Heights podcast. And if you are ever in the Bryan College Station area, we invite you to come out to New Heights Church for a live service. I promise we'll make you feel right at home.